Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. And joining me, a little introduction to this special episode, producer extraordinaire Mike Campbell. Mike, how you doing, sir? Good. Thanks for having me, Jesse. <laughs> so we decided we're going to do something a little bit different uh, for the one-year anniversary of the show, because we did start in March of 2019, is when we actually released our first episode. We had recorded a bit before then. So we're doing a little bit something different, but before we get going, I think it's probably cool that we do some thank you. So just a giant thank you again. Uh, we had... <laughs> Really had no idea what we were getting into when we started this process a year ago. So we really, really appreciate everybody checking us out. Like we say in the interviews coming up, we couldn't imagine the outreach we've heard from people, just people enjoying it as much as we enjoy it. We thought it was just like a passion project at first, but it really caught on and we appreciate everyone that listens. Thank you so very much. Yeah, so this is cool. So we're going to do a couple of different things uh, with this episode. We're going to feature clips from two separate interviews. Uh, you'll be able to catch both interviews in their entirety on our Patreon. Is that correct, Mike? Yes. So both of these interviews were about an hour long, and we didn't want to throw out a two-hour <laughs> episode sure. because I'm going to be honest with you, 15 minutes of one interview is just about the Boston Red Sox. There you go, of course. So if you're a big Boston Red Sox fan, check out our Patreon. Uh, tomorrow, both of the interviews in their entirety will be available there. All right, very cool. For the very first interview we are going to air, we had a really neat opportunity. Myself, Mike, and actually my sister Monique had the chance to sit down and be interviewed by the filmmaker, Tanya Chevenel. Now, we talked about her movie, one of our very, very first episodes, The Home Road, Tremendous, tremendous documentary. She's a super talented, really amazing person. And she offered to interview us. So they thought that'd be kind of neat. So these clips, you'll hear the three voices, myself, Mike, and my sister, Monique, kind of talk a little bit about where we are and how we came up with this idea for this podcast. Um, when you think about the roots and the different parts and sides of your family, do you remember how you started learning about I'm French-Canadian, or I'm French, or I'm the other parts that you all are. Do you have recollections on how that came around? I'll, I'll go first on sure. this one. When we interviewed Susan Panette, she talked about how a lot of her students learn that their, their traditions that they did at their home wasn't unique to themselves, that it's French-Canadian stuff that was happening. And I feel like I'm exactly that <laughs> with this podcast. Jesse has talked to numerous people, and I was like, wait, what? That's no, that's what my family did. <laughs> and so it wasn't as present as you'll hear from Jesse and Monique in a few minutes, but I'm, I'm learning a, a lot of the stuff they just, we didn't, they didn't announce or talk about very much. I think the thing growing up, we were very cognizant of it. Um, being, even I can remember in grammar school, in kindergarten, we were learning French, and there were kids in class with me who were bilingual. So I think that's something, and having grandparents, um, our memes and pepes, both sides would talk in French in front of us when they didn't want us to understand. <laughs> and it would be one of those things like, come on, you know? So I think we are very aware of being French Canadian, having gone to French Canadian churches, the French Canadian events, our parents speaking French around us, you know, the jokes now, even like the lullabies, which still still carry on i sing to my son now like we still know some that still carry on and then my name is monique again i couldn't i couldn't run from being french canadian yeah yeah i think that's the thing uh, i was just there was never a time where it wasn't there um for me kind of same deal uh baptized into at the time at least in manchester i think a lot of places they had you know national churches which were set aside very specifically for an ethnic group and um, we were both baptized in a French church. And so, and that French church played a huge role in my grandparents' lives. Um, like I said, Monique was saying, like they very much spoke French to each other all the time, forever. Both my parents spoke French at the house growing up. So I don't think there was ever a time where I was not aware of that French side. And I think a lot of that, uh, which makes our story probably less complicated than a number of others, including some of the people I work with at the uh, Franco-American Center, is that, at least to my knowledge, uh, we don't have another side. 
Like, we can right. share, like, right. all four grandparents go back to Quebec. Wow. I can tell you the town that all four branches of my grandparents' families come from, like, in, in Quebec. I bet it's all of them. So there isn't, like, a, you know, we have... Mixed breed. We, have, no. <laughs> we don't have, like, a, well, then there's the Irish aunts, or, right. you know, then there's the, the Polish aunts. Like, for us, it was just, it was all, it was always French. When you think of the things that make you French Canadian <laughs> or like the, the artifacts in, that you grew up with or the traditions in your households, are there stories or traditions or things like that or certain people that really to you help you identify with your heritage? I mean, for, for me, I was always uh, my grandparents in that generation is was always the big thing um, when I was growing up, uh, for sure, because we talk about a lot on our, our podcast about the, the survivance. Mm-hmm. The whole idea is you have to keep the traditions, you have to keep the language, you have to keep the faith. And all three were a really, really, really big deal to my grandparents, uh, for sure. Like, uh, you walked anywhere in their house, uh, you're going to see crucifixes all over the place. And it, it, it is, obviously, it's a Catholic tradition, but I don't think they saw Catholic and French as indivisible. It was like, that was the, th- like, I remember my dad made the joke once that uh, when the church that, you know, he grew up in had the very first uh, English mass, it was like, because he was still a kid, he remembers it. Uh, it was like news to him that God could speak English. It was like, <laughs> it was just because everything, everything church related had always been in French. Wow. Like, you couldn't have church without French. You couldn't have French without the influence of a priest who taught you how to live your life, the French life. So... They always lived right to the very end, surrounded by that their entire lives. So we had, you know, we had the tradition. We had, we had the pork pie uh, mm. <laughs> at all of our. Uh, we still do. Same here with with my grandma. She would always make pork pie for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yep. Still, we still have it. We still, we still have it around uh, for sure. Uh, still, you know, we go to the midnight mass. It was a yep. big deal for the Frenchies. So I mean, that's still something that happens. But again, it was. It is fascinating because you don't realize, like, um, similar to what Mike was saying, you kind of don't realize a lot of it was so much a tradition of your heritage until you're almost taking a step back and looking at it. It was just what what we had, you know. It was just what was life growing up. My, my, I don't know, silliest thing was in an earlier interview, uh, someone said Matount. Yeah, um, of yeah. course I'm butchering the pronunciation, on, yeah. but I thought my aunt's name was Matount Dot. That was just <laughs> that was how we referred to her was Matount Dot, and I had never heard that anywhere else. <laughs> so I just thought, and then I was like, wait, what? Because I didn't, I don't speak a lick of French. I took German and Spanish yeah. in high school, so I didn't know that at all. And yeah, it's just it's funny because yeah, my my godmother's you know Matount Manik. And one thing that I've been a stickler about about my sister's kid is that he's gonna grow up calling me Monolk. That's a big deal to me. I'm gonna be Monolk Jesse. My my mom has my son refer to her as Meme. There you go. And my wife's mom is Grandma. Yeah. So Grandma yep. and Grandpa, and then that's Meme. what she does on her. Yeah, son. we have. Yeah, we have. My son has. Yeah, Meme and a Pepe, and then. A, you know grandmas and grandpas but i think the biggest thing for us it was just the like we could we joke and call it like franglais but there was like that like <laughs> growing up that there was sometimes it was like intermingled like at, at christmas parties like people will yell out like oh cadeaux where are the cadeaux yes yeah, right you know just things like that that were cadeaux, always yeah. yeah that were always inter you know the Me, culture was gifts yeah it means gifts sorry so um yeah <laughs> Thank you. you're Merci. yeah no yeah. and like again it's just you know it, it was it was how we grew up so I can't say that there was necessarily like I think I definitely associate that generation because they were I mean though our parents were are bilingual it was so heavenly has so prevalent in that generation they spoke French every day um and it definitely defined them and obviously the Catholic Church played a huge role um in all of that because I think even like side note too like I, I think even on like the female side a little bit more like I think we grew up with a love of dance and stuff like that that also came from that that came from like they would have these like parties sure. in, in in their houses like this where they would move furniture and they would dance on the floors and then that was really pushed upon the girls I think more than anyone else you know that that was a big part of who we were I mean that's what I still do but like 
That's what my mom does. Is my, my mom, Tom, my does. aunt. Absolutely. Like, still. Yeah. Still. So I think that the love of the music and the fact that you have good rhythm, all of that tied into the fact that they would do. They would do these little parties where... The soiree. This, yeah. yeah, where they would like clear out a living room and dance and play music. And my mom remembers dancing to the quadrilles. <laughs> so I think all of that is a big part of who... We, and again, it was just... Inc- I took dance like it was intermingled in my life but sure. it was it was a big deal to my family that I was good at it wow do you have any of the music or the dances in part of your family no story? not really <laughs> I yeah no <laughs> 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 nothing like that at all uh, so it was mostly my grandma or my meme sure. um she was uh, she passed when I was a sophomore in high school, mm-hmm. but we'd go to ma- we'd go to mass with her every every Sunday mm-hmm. at eight a.m. Uh, sometimes we'd go to the French mass, and I'd be like, "They found a way to make church even more fun." Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand anything. Um, oh yeah, but, but yeah, we didn't. It was it was mostly my. When my mom would be mad at me, I'd hear her and Meme talking in French, so I knew something was wrong. <laughs> I did something wrong. So, but no, we didn't. We didn't really have anything like that. Spotted. Yeah. Well, and just thinking, um, you know, Mike and Monique both have children, and as you two think about how to talk to your kids about um, their heritage and their roots and, and what that means and things, um, well, actually, before we get to that, can you just tell us a little bit about? Your kids. Well, Bryce is my son, and he's the assistant editor. <laughs> he is indeed. So a lot of this stuff you don't hear is thanks to Bryce's great decisions. Uh, when I, yeah, um, Cut. Edit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, he, he sees Jesse and I working on the podcast, so he's been starting to get really interested in microphones and stuff. Uh, he's four, uh, just started. Uh, he's in pre-K now. And I don't... I haven't really thought about this that much, honestly. We have uh, Meme. He hears that. We, I put some shows on in French just to, because we're trying to enforce other languages in him. I, mm-hmm. I don't speak another language, and I really want him sure. to learn one or two languages because I don't know. I just think it'd be very awesome to speak another language and be able to go somewhere else and know what you're doing. But I, I honestly haven't thought that much about it, other than just the the meme. He asked, he does ask, he's asked about like meme, the difference between meme and grandma. He's asked about that, but what did you tell him? I'm curious. I just, I just told him that meme, meme had a meme and I had a meme, <laughs> yeah. and that's just where that's just how it was basically. Like, that's cool. So I think so. I have I have one. I have a son. He's eight months old, and uh, his name is Bernard. Actually, so he goes by Ben Bernard because that's my dad's name. Okay. So we named him Bernard Alexander, and his last name is Carnes. So it's a Scottish last name. And being being female, knowing my identity, my whole name is who I you know was my French Canadian legacy truly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew giving that up, I wanted to keep something for him to hold on to. So that's, that was a big factor in why we named him Bernard, obviously. And my, my dad is a phenomenal role model. So it was really important for that. And it is really, I think, um, obviously my, my brother did a podcast about this, so (laughs) it's pretty important to our family to keep that legacy going. So he's. I mean, he's eight months, so I don't know how much he knows right now. But he has he has a meme, he has a pepe, uh, he's a mononc. I think the other part is yeah, like we like I already said, and we we sing to him in French from what I remember. Um, mom always does. Yeah, my mom when she comes up his meme, she always speaks to him in French. Or and that happened to Jesse and I as well, and we didn't retra- retain it. But I'm hoping whether he picks up the language or not, at least he knows where he comes from. Because no matter what your background is, I think it's important to know who you are. And who you are is, you know, your roots. So that's that's kind of where we went with that. I don't think Ben's gonna be able to get her, get away from this. To be honest with you. No, he's probably surrounded by. It. And luckily, his his father's pretty cool with letting us go to like, you know, he doesn't care about going to Poutine Fest or going to Quebec <laughs> with us, you know. So he's he's not French Canadian at all. Um, his he does have actually roots to France. But um, yeah, my husband's got no French Canadian, but he's pretty cool with you know you know Ben knowing where he's from. I thought it might be fun for listeners to get to know just a few 
little things about their house and Monique for sure jump into all this <laughs> stuff like that. So I'm gonna toss you guys some softballs. All right. Oh, here all we right. go. What's your favorite color? Blue. Black. Since when? Black. It was like yellow growing up. I liked yellow. Sure. <laughs> I like black. Yellow. Black. Black. That's, that's new, everybody. That's a that's a recent <laughs> development in Jesse's life. All right, that might be another episode. Sure. Like you're right, talking about the shadows and Jesse's life <laughs> and the darkness and the black. Um, Monique, do you have a favorite color? Oh, let's go. I'll go blue as well. Okay. All right. Team blue. That's right. All right. How about um? How about well, speaking about places and destinations, um, like favorite vacation you ever took or spot or places you just maybe like to go to relax or something. Mine is York, Maine. I was gonna say I, I know Mike's answer big time on this the whole one. trip up here. Uh, my family, they we sold the we had a cottage in York, Maine near Nubble Light, if you know the area, hmm. and we just sold it last year because the other half of my family, I owned half of it, and then a couple of uncles owned the other half, and they wanted out because they have family moving to like DC and other areas, so they weren't coming up as much as we were, and we couldn't afford to buy it out. So, but every summer, all August, they they would uh, rent out the cottage in June and July, and then we would just spend all of August in York. That's and awesome. so that's it's my my favorite. I think it's it's probably my favorite place. Top top two, top three. <laughs> I am also I love uh, theater. I don't like I don't love New York City like Times Square. Like all the people, but I love going to see shows there. What were some of your favorite shows? Or uh, show? the musical Rent is my favorite uh, show. I need. I see now. I need that kind of culture. <laughs> I don't. That's, I've got to do that. You, you talk. You're curious about musical theater. You need to have a chat with Mike. <laughs> yeah, Mike knows his musical theater big time. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Rent's my favorite show. Uh, Les Mis. Mm-hmm. The French tie-in kind of. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I've listened to it in French. I like listening to musicals in other languages. Just. Stuff you know so well, hearing it in a different way, I think is really cool. That is cool. Favorite trips? Well, we've done a couple of big family ones. I've been pretty lucky about that. Probably one, I mean, we went to, we did go back to, we went to France. So that was pretty crazy. So we went to um, Paris and Normandy. Um, we were on, the the significance of that was cool. My grandfather actually was on Omaha Beach on D-Day. So we got to be there. Jesse, my family, we, my parents and Jesse and I got to stand on Omaha Beach where he was. That was eye-opening. We had fun. We went to Ireland. That was that was a good time, too. I really enjoyed being in Ireland. That was a fun trip. What about Ireland? We went all over. We went to Cork. We went to Galway. That was my favorite, for sure, was Galway. Because of dancing? And no, we going to the uh, Cliffs of Moher. It's beautiful, yeah. It's gorgeous there. Well, because I, I was living there. Yeah, so. Jesse was living there I, at the time. I did it. I did a, when I was in law school, I did a semester at the University College Cork. Really? So I was in Cork, Ireland for four months. Yeah, that was a blast. Yeah, that was so we went to Dublin. We had a good. That was a good trip. I'm trying to think of because we didn't really do like we did little trips here and there as a kid. Like we did, we rented in York too. Actually, we would um so we would do stuff like that. I went on every history trip you could ever imagine <laughs> because my brother was you know where you want to go in fourth grade as a girl is uh, Gettysburg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesse would be like, oh my gosh, this is where Pickett's Charge was. Can you see it? No, granted, no. Backstory: I I taught history for a while too, so I do love history but I was fourth grade I was like mom count my cartwheels like that <laughs> that was my like that's my Gettysburg memory and Jesse being like can you imagine this and I was like count louder <laughs> so this this won't play for those outside of New Hampshire but did you ever have school trips to Heritage New Hampshire we I did yeah yep. I used to do that and I remember Storyland would be right next door yes. to it yep. so we'd be unloading off this bus to go to this museum <laughs> right, with a bunch right. of fourth graders and seeing all these rides right next yep. door and we're like why are we going on the rides why are we going through this dusty old museum yeah or like Cooperstown and my brother okay no that's no I went to Cooperstown and it, was... yeah it's when you're like again fourth grade my brother and don't baseball's if, the best if you want to go to a museum just know if you're going with Jesse you're going to be there all day like ten hours because he reads every one of those little things that some of us just walk by. <laughs> so I was... That's guilty as charge. I yeah, I mean, he reads, a, which is good. He's smart. So, <laughs> but it, it was painful when I don't... I like baseball. I don't love baseball. So. Well, no one's perfect. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Close enough. Yeah. I just... I Maybe I should just time out here. Are we all Red Sox fans? How are we? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're oh, safe. Yeah. Are we all right? Yeah, Am that's I, a safe we're place. We're okay? Yeah. yeah. A safe house, safe yes. place? Okay. Yes. 
It's yeah. probably not. It's not going to be true of the listening population all the way around. But all right. So at the table, there's going to be peace and harmony for at least, yes. you know. Let's see. Is there anything that perhaps your listeners would be surprised to know about you? Want to go? <laughs> but they can tell stories, I'm sure. Well, about Jesse, I could tell many, but I mean, this is family friendly. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> um, no I, when I was thinking of things that I could joke, people don't know about Jesse is, you know, you go get ice cream, you, <laughs> could, you could just eat it. Like you and I can just eat ice cream. Jesse, be, be ready to sit there for an hour because he's got to wait for it to melt, soup it up. But no, we don't get milkshakes because that would make too much sense to get a milkshake that's already melted. We got to soup up our ice cream, so let it melt and then stir, 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 stir <laughs> till it's not like frozen anymore, till it's like a milkshake liquid, then we can eat it. So when we, like, you know, as a kid, you'd get like dessert, like Jesse would be eating dessert 10 hours after everybody else. <laughs> So. I actually relate to that on a personal <laughs> level. I don't like I enjoy soft serve, but oh, no. like hard ice cream, I don't I wait for it to get like kind of soupy. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say milkshake level, but I want to be able to like scoop Is this a French Canadian thing? Like very easily. <laughs> or a male thing. Yeah. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm, no. Putting some rainbow jimmies on right it. Right in the way. <laughs> like when I take ice cream out of the fridge, I put it in the microwave for ten seconds. That hell, hell microwave is. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Is that like a I don't, does, I don't know. How did they I don't know that? how that happened. I have no idea, but I've always done it. I've He's done always it. done it. I've done it forever. Yeah, true. And I, I, I still do it. I'm not gonna, I can't deny yeah, that. I yeah. I'm lactose intolerant, so it's the Ben and Jerry's mm. non-dairy one, but I still, I'll still nuke it. <laughs> no, I guess so. I want a hammer and chisel to... <laughs> But then as a kid, so I'm four years younger, it'd be so frustrating because, you know, like, I'd be done my ice cream and there's Jesse still eating it. And, like... <laughs> Yeah. I'd be bitter. I, I would be too. I'm right. bitter right now, Jesse. I'm sorry. I'm like, That's true. Yeah. Um, any other like yeah, any other like mysteries or like something weird she, or um just MF. You could tell people, yeah. That's probably want. the biggest one, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the, the real answer to the question. It's, it's a less fun answer than eating ice cream. But true. I think the biggest thing that impacts my life that our listeners have no idea about is I have multiple sclerosis. So that's something that, uh, again, I don't get into very often, but I mean, that's a day-to-day basis thing. So something I have, something I've had for, you know, 13 years now. But, yep. But yeah, so that, that's probably the correct answer. That's the that's true. <laughs> biggest, people, yeah, people, biggest thing in my life that people, a lot of people don't know people about. People don't realize, especially answer. not seeing and not seeing potentially the day-to-day effects. Correct. Yep. I think that's right. And is that something just out of curiosity and sure. don't need to share it if you don't want to? Is that, is there a family history of that? Not at all. Do you know? No. Well, not true. Not that I knew of, anyway. No, yeah, we didn't know ahead of time. So it was one of those things that, yeah, we didn't know. He, Jesse was diagnosed my senior year of college. We thought at first it was just that he was having some back issues, that he had slipped a disc. So when he was um, diagnosed, we later then found out my dad's got a cousin and my mom's got a cousin. Hmm. So it is something, and then I don't even know if he knows that I'm still, like, I'm a part of a Brigham and Women's does a genetic thing that I, I'm still a part of to this day forever that I send in stuff for just to test, you know. And it's something I had thought about because of Jesse. It was something I even talked to him for sure. Yeah, it, it actually does run in the family, Jesse. Yeah, I, just, I, didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But it does. It, it's definitely impacted his life for sure um, in ways that he never thought, but. When you two, like, can you tell us the origin of the podcast? Uh, sure. Like, a little bit more about how, or even how you two know each other, or if, <laughs> if, if, if we can. Or yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Right. yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, maybe, like, how you how you two know each other, how you get into, interested in podcasting, and um, sort of, like, the background before we talk about maybe the future of the sure. podcast. Sure. Um, Basically, well, Mike and I know each other through professional wrestling, of course, because <laughs> how else would two yeah, two, else? two gentlemen meet each other? Yeah, uh, a friend, <laughs> a friend of a friend, and was like, "Oh, hey, you like wrestling? Oh, I have a couple friends that like wrestling. Do you guys watch the pay-per-views once a month every Sunday? Spend sixty dollars. Hey, maybe we can get all together and and share the share the hit. That's exactly what happened, uh, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So it wasn't like wrestling. An, it wasn't like the historical museum reading captions. Oh okay. no! All right, no, wrestling. it was it was. <laughs> we watched wrestling pay-per-views together. It's how we met once a month. <laughs> all right, so. Give me that segue from watching <laughs> wrestling to let's do a French Canadian Legacy podcast because that's like you know yeah <laughs> I got involved with the Franco American Center 
in Manchester. I got, it was kind of a, I was very fortunate to do so. Basically, I was just venting at the water cooler one day uh, with one of my co-workers uh, about how I didn't think the uh, French Canadians did enough to really tell their story, at least in Manchester. So he saw, he's like, time out, uh, you got to talk to my brother. So the guy I was talking to, his name is Dan Beaulieu. His brother's Tim Beaulieu. Tim's the guy who puts on Putsin Fest. He got me into the Franco-American Center. Uh, and while I was there, at least the way, I, the way I'm wired for sure, <laughs> is just like, well, what can I bring to the table uh, for this organization to try to help this cause? And I had done college radio. I had done sports broadcasting. Uh, I called basketball games. I called double-A baseball games for the Bowie Bay Sox. That was way fun. So I had done some uh, radio in the past, but I had zero idea at all how to pull off a podcast. None. No clue. I don't. Have, I have zero technical skills. Oh. Mike will be the first to tell you that for sure. Like I, so, so I. We can't trust you. The toaster. You're like, <laughs> no. No, 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 no. like a GPS on the way up. <laughs> he Jesse just realized how GPSs work on phones. Literally on this drive up from Manchester to Maine today. So wow. just... he, he found out you can get real time traffic updates from the GPS, <laughs> and he's like, they can do that. <laughs> this is yeah. awesome. Thanks, guys. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, so I knew I needed help. Um, I went to some people at the Franco-American Center first and tried to sell them on doing it with me. I tried to sell it to two other guys with the idea was we'd go every third week. So we'd take turns hosting and kind of do it that way. But they're like, hey, this is a tremendous idea, but no, this is going to involve a ton of time. And I'm like, yes, I understand that. And they're like, uh, well, we have families. We can't do it. So I'm thinking, like, who can I trust? Who I know can I depend on that can handle um, that kind of handling the technical side? Um, so I got Mike to see if see if he was interested. And we had we had actually talked about doing a wrestling podcast. We had talked about a lot of things, with our, yeah, <laughs> with our with our group of friends. But and, like, yeah, because Mike runs everything. He runs the obviously he does all the the production editing for the show, but he also handles all social media. I have nothing to do with any of this. So if you see a post that you like on Facebook, trust me, that is not me who posted that. That's a guarantee. I, I clear. I talked to Jesse. We, <laughs> I don't know. Like that's Jesse always says. I think he does the hardest part talking to people. I think that's insane the amount of work he puts into getting all these great interviews. I just click some buttons on a computer <laughs> and edit out when we make a mistake. Uh, but it's it's all 100%. Je it was Jesse. He he asked me about it because I have a background. I uh, I had, have an associate's in um, television production. I went to college for television production. Then I switched to English and philosophy halfway through, you know. <laughs> As people do. Yeah. Where the big bucks are. Right. <laughs> hey, you're talking uh, but, history majors. <laughs> but I had, always, I had been wanting to get back into editing. And Jesse knew that, and he, yeah. he asked me if he if I wanted to be involved in a podcast. And that's actually when uh, Patrick mentioned the um, the home road. I reached out to Tanya because I w I'm really interested in movies and how they're made and stuff. So well, it's, it is a great. I mean, you're a great team, obviously. Mm -hmm. And um, as I said in prior prior episodes. Um, it's just amazing that you're doing this, and I, I do know how much work it is and and have an understanding for what goes into it. And I mean, it's websites, it's the social media, it's the editing, it is the interviewing, but it's the caring, and you two have done such a beautiful job. Well, thank you. I think we benefit substantially by both of us being absolutely positive the other one has the hard job. <laughs> and so and I and I think that's well, it's been... really Bryce. <laughs> yeah, Bryce, yeah. Bryce is carrying. He carries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, we, thank you because we we've been very fortunate. We do put a ton we put a ton of time into it. So it, it is it is good uh, that we've been able to to produce as, as many already as we and have. we're learning so much every week. <laughs> surprisingly, yeah. sure something new pops up. But yeah, and thanks for listening and hope it sounds all right. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Well, and I don't want to cut you off if you want to keep no. rolling on that track, but like as far as either what, you know, things that you felt like, wow, yeah, that was good or something along the way that's made you go, hmm, or yeah, or looking forward or future, um, however you want to jive into that. We can do, I mean, you want to start or I start? You matter. can start. Uh, the coolest story I've heard, uh, so well, there's a couple things that happened that were for me were way way cool. Super surprising. I thought we might be able to catch uh, people's attention in New England uh, to tell the New England story. I'm way surprised by how many people we've been able to connect with north of the border. I think mm -hmm. it's really cool. A lot of people from Quebec 
they have no idea what happened to those cousins who came down to New England. And so they're catching some of this story for the first time. So a couple things that happened. The first, probably three months, two months after we started, uh, somebody from the Franco-American Center actually went to Quebec City. And they were taking a tour of an observatory up there, which I think is kind of fun. And the tour guide, when heard her speaking or whatever, asked where she was from. She said she was from New Hampshire. And the tour guide asked if she listened to our podcast. So this tour guide from Quebec City knew who I was. And that was that was, that was was absolutely awesome. Um, so that was very neat. And then Mike and I, a couple weeks ago now, I guess, that'll be months, but as, as, of, this, this as of this recording, uh, got a couple of listeners come down from Drummondville, Quebec. So that was amazing because they're, they're engaged with this story. They find it fascinating that there's this group of people in New Hampshire uh, hanging on to the heritage fighting to keep the language, to teach the language. And they got a giant kick out of that. I mean, they're younger than us. And the two young kids. But they, yeah, so they came down, spent a weekend uh, in Manchester. And that was, I mean, to me, that's awesome. To be able to have that connection uh, with people in Quebec is a giant highlight for me. When I first started, I don't, I'm not a super creative guy uh, to begin with. I'm very pretty, I'm pretty analytical. I approach things, me and Mike approach, we would approach interviews differently. Because I'm very much like a history guy. I, I'm got a law degree, I got a law background. So um, that's very much how I, A, B, C, and D in order type person. So this podcast, to be able to, I've interviewed a couple of poets, which is something I never thought I would do. Obviously, I, I interviewed somebody who made a movie, which is so crazy. I interviewed somebody who wrote a play. These are things, a novel, we just talked, spoke to uh, about a novel. I, I thought for sure when I first had this idea that basically I would be telling a history story. And I'm finding I'm telling a lot more than just a history story. And that to me is very cool and unexpected. It's absolutely taken me, I've, I've read more poetry in the past <laughs> <laughs> three months than I have my entire life prior to doing some of these interviews. Um, and it's been fascinating. I've loved all of it. And again, echoing, every time someone reaches out, we get just random emails from people. I, came, time, I yeah. stumbled across it. I want to learn more about my ancestry mm-hmm. because of listening to you. And it's just insane that people actually listen. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised because, I don't know, looking, when you're working on the project, you're like, is, is it, this is cool for us. Will it hit other people? And it's amazing that it does and we thank everyone that drops us a comment on Facebook or Twitter and we love hearing from you for sure okay so now on to second interview yeah this one is way way fun uh, for me I had the opportunity to sit down in Mike's basement of course with my parents now I talk a ton about my parents on this show obviously a super huge influence on what I have done here and for the first time I got to chat with them a little bit about some of the topics that I discuss all the time here so the second interview myself with my mom Pauline Martineau formerly a preventure and my dad Ben Martineau so here's the interview so do you have any how would your parents have like met each other they were uh Introduced by a mutual friend, my dad was 39 at the time when we married. But I don't know how long they courted before he was married. But sure. my dad was 39 when he was married, and my mom was I think she's seven years younger. Wow. Okay. No, no, 13 and 19, six years younger. Six so years. she was 33 at the time. Gotcha. And that seems pretty late, later than normal. Later than that life. Time yeah. Right. Married. Yeah. Absolutely. My dad it was not what anybody would these days call a player. So, <laughs> So, I don't think there was a lot of women in his life and stuff before he married. That's funny. No, that's cool. So, your did your mom grow up in Lowell? Is that what no, happened? No, my mom grew up in Manchester, and then she went gotcha. to St. Teresa's for grammar school. They had a grammar school. Then the, the girls' high school at the time for Catholic French girls was St. George, the parish that we grew up. They had sure. a high school for girls, and we went. Th- she went there. And then after graduation, she worked for the uh, ACA, Associates. Yeah. Association Canada American, which was considered a you know a prestigious job at the time, even though she was making like six dollars a week or something like that. <laughs> but to work for the ACA was supposed to be quite a deal, and it was very much a social group at the time. I mean, they had a like a their basement of their offices had a bowling alley and stuff like that. That's and awesome. It, it was more of a social group than I don't even know if it exists still now, but what what it turned into. That's fine. Now, yeah, I think it's a. It was an insurance group lately. Yeah, yeah. The ACA semi morphed into what the Franco American Center is. I think a lot of the resources ended up in the Franco American Center. The assets is the word I was looking for. Uh, but I think the building is now like a Baptist church or something, or yes. something like that. Oh, that's pretty funny. That's cool. So, 
What did your I did. What did your mom? First of all, do you know how far she got in school? My mom was a high school graduate. High school and, graduate. Uh, yes, and then she started working afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Does that she just worked for the ACA for? I think she worked for an insurance company initially. Besides, not the ACA. Then, gotcha. then, when the ACA opened up, she went there. And then post marriage and children, she was a housewife for a while. And then gotcha. she worked at she worked at the JFK Coliseum for a while, <laughs> like in the t- taking. Tickets at the you know at the you know yeah, at the door, that's awesome. and then she worked at the Elliott Hospital for I would say maybe fifteen years or so at the front desk, which you really that. liked. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, well you the people that you see right when you walk in, you right. got to find out where you're going. Going exactly right, yeah. which was awesome because your mom is a major schmoozer of the highest order. So that's fun. That's cool. Now, where did your folks meet, Bob? My folks met in the mills. Right. My mom and dad were both working at Wombeck Mill at the time, and my mom was. Uh, my mom married at 19. 19? 19. My dad was 24. Wow. Yeah. She never got beyond eighth grade because they wanted to send her to an all-girl high school, and she wanted no part of that. <laughs> she wanted to go to West, and her parents wouldn't let her go. So she said, well, then I'm going to work. There you go. So she went into the mills. That's where she met my dad. My dad did two years of high school, then joined the arm, joined the Navy gotcha. at 17 and during World War II. No. Only because of his French, which is really cool. This is a really cool story. I like it, yeah. My father got to travel around with some of the admirals when he was in France because he could translate for the admirals. And I remember my mom telling me once that because he was traveling with the admirals, they took him places where my father became a man. <laughs> That's awesome. It's my favorite story from my mother. Which, um, which is very funny. Yeah. If you knew your dad, your dad was not. No, my that dad kind of was just very quiet, very, very proper. Yes. Wore a tie every day type guy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So he was, uh, and then when they came, when he came back, he met my mom in the mills and they married and like a lot of French families, they bought a house with Pepe and Meme living downstairs and Manoke and Matant living right next door. And, you know, it takes a village. And Yeah. No, I think that's, yeah. So you guys both then grew up in the same house with grandparents. Yes. Yes. Because your dad's would have been next door. Yours would have been underneath you. Underneath. Correct. No, that's cool. No, no. my mom's was next door. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Your mom's folks were next door. And it would have been your dad's folks that Correct. were downstairs. Correct. Yeah. That's cool. Now, and your dad was, so dad's dad was also... In World War II? Oh, yeah. So do you you have any of his story from the war? When we asked him what he did, he told us he ran. Ran a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's basically all he would say. He was not one for relating (laughs) war stories. Gotcha. But he was in the Army. He was in the Army, correct, yes. No, that's awesome. He was like a heavy machine gun operator or something like that. I know because I've seen, I have the jacket. He has the... uh, Engineer's pin. I know mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I don't. We and have no idea what he did. Landed in Normandy the second day. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty wild. Okay, do you have any idea what your moms did during the war? My mom was living at home with her parents, and he must gotcha. have been doing like the. Yeah, nothing. The yeah. collecting stuff, whatever, gotcha. and you know the rationing of stuff, sure. etc. Your mom, your mom's mom must have still been pretty young, I would, I would think, then. Yeah, my mom was still at home and and probably gotcha. might be still in school. She Got was it. still in school. Got it. Yeah. Now, Dad, your dad never did the mill thing. No, he did not. My dad, after uh, serving, he went to a jewelry jeweler's school. Pardon me, in Boston. He used to commute by train from Manchester to Boston every day, and did learn watch repairing and ring sizing and th- that that trade. Sure. Now we met you the mills a couple times. Ma, do you know what job did your folks do? You mentioned they met at the mills. What did they do at the mills? My dad was a loom fixer, and he loved, loved, loved his job. It was a skill. It was a skilled position. He had to go to school to learn it, and he was very good. In fact, he was a spare fixer, which meant he didn't have his own set. He got the the most difficult breakdowns, and he just loved the whole idea of figuring out what was wrong and how you fix it. My mother also had a skilled position. She was a um, smash piecer. That's a position where if there's a lot of threads broken, like hundreds of threads broken, my mother had to learn how to get that loom going again. I was a battery hand for a while, and then I graduated to weaver. That's when the threads break and you fix it and you get the loom started again. Batteries, battery hand, you just fill in, you fill the batteries. That a battery is not like you think, like you put in a in a flashlight. Right. A battery is the part of the loom that holds all the bobbins with the thread on it. So it was great. I did it in high school. The whole place was high school kids. We had a great time. <laughs> they paid well. I mean, how long did the mills, I guess, survive? 
in Manchester for like you said you did it in high school like when you were out of college did, did were the mills still a thing or? yeah because they used to hire me back every vacation gotcha I would go back to the mills and work they were great worked in the summer they taught me how to how to sand the floors and uh, <laughs> so funny. I could earn extra money but they pretty much kind of I worked at Chicopee, which was bought out by Carol Cable gotcha. after a while. And then Wombeck, where my mom and dad met, closed a little after that because when I came back from college, I was teaching at Trinity High School at my father's. The mill closed at that point, and my father became a maintenance man at at Trinity at that time. No, that's, and one thing we hear about the conditions working in these mills. I mean, you said about coming back during the summer. You always hear how there were like 100 million degrees and stupid loud. Is that absolutely the reality that you grew up with? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> we invented the wet shirt contest. <laughs> 11 o'clock at night when we left those mills, we were soaked. I believe it. But yet you still like the job, which I think is kind of wild. Well, I think it, a lot of jobs, even today we talk about that. A lot of jobs depend on who you're working with. Sure. And we had a lot of young kids and we had a good time. And it paid great. And my best friend was a was a spinner upstairs. So there was a lot of us working in that mill. A lot of Frenchies. A lot of Frenchies. Were your bosses and Frenchies? They were, but as I was as I was leaving, yep. it was mostly people from Colombia who really? are now immigrating Interesting. up into the city because a lot of the people that I trained before I left were from from Colombia. And being French, sure. I was able to speak to them. Like we could almost translate each other because they were Spanish and a lot of the words kind of matched and we could understand each other. That's funny. It was, it was great. Did you guys both speak French with your parents when you were in the house? All Mm. the time. My father wouldn't speak English in the house. He was determined to, to, he believed in saving the language, so he would only speak French in the house. Gotcha. When we started hanging in the neighborhood, I mean, our parents might speak in French, but we, for the most part, we would answer in English. You would answer back in English? English? Yes. Gotcha. So there was never a time, or even when you were really little, would you talk to your older sister in French? Or would you all, you guys always talk in English? We always talked in English among the siblings, yeah. Gotcha. How about you in your house, Mom? No, we talked French pretty much. Well, just when, when Jesse was very young, when Jesse was 18 months old, and I brought him back to New Hampshire for six months while my husband was was spending the last six months in the army my father refused to speak to jesse in english and jesse was pretty much fluent in french by the time we left the house it's kind of cool that is very cool now i gotta go back to quebec to get it back that's right one thing uh that we've talked about a bunch obviously on this show and i'm curious to see what your thoughts are on this one uh my sister and i do not speak french monique and i do not and we were very much not alone even though there were many 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 generations who lived in manchester new england in general uh speaking french in the house uh my generation me and my sis was the first that did not why do you think that is why do you think it came to when it became time for like me and my sister, we became part of the first generation that did not grow up speaking French in the house. What what do you think contributed to that, if you have an idea at all? Because well, I, I, think, I think it's probably super complicated. but It's very complicated, but I think the minute that we left the house, for example, when we went off to college, yeah, you know, we never spoke never spoke French anymore. And when you come back, you know, you start to lose your French. Although my father, oh my, to the day he passed, only spoke French in the house. But... My mom spoke English, and I think once the generations leave, leave that environment, and you know you're moving into an environment where nobody is speaking French, I think that's what happens. And you guys were the next generation, so right. we never spoke French to you. My father did. Sure. Spoke French to you, Jesse. But other than that, I think once you start leaving that environment, you lose you lose the language. I mean, once we started making contact out of the household and all. It was always English, and it just became easier to speak English because, I mean, to this day, like, you know, we said earlier, Pauline and I, our ears are still good as far as understanding people talking to us. Sure. But as far as, I struggle when I try to get words for lack of, you know, lack of speaking and all. Sure. And it just became easier and, I guess, a bit lazier, basically, just <laughs> to stay with English. It is It is kind of funny because it, it did, this like, literally a hundred, over 100 years of people growing up in New England Always just generation after generation speaking French. And then just, and it happened. And this is not just in Manchester. This is all through New England. We talked to people in uh, northern New York. Talked to people even in Louisiana. It was all about the same time. All about the same time. Started started having fewer and fewer speaking in, in the house after roughly the same time. And once you lose those little communities. Sure. You know, like the little, uh, like the French 
in the, on the west side, once you start losing those communities, you start losing like the second, the second circle of, of language from the family to the outside world where, you know, you get a French newspaper and you get your French radio station. When you start losing that, then it really starts to go. I guess that makes sense. There comes a point where uh, there's no advantage to really needing it anymore. Correct. It's not like you need to go talk to the guy who's at the bakery down the road anymore, right? And, and for example, when, I was, when we were in grammar school, I think it was in fourth grade, we had our first English mass at church. And I mean, up to that point, they no such thing. And then right. it was one, and then it was two, and then French became not the, the norm mass. anymore. Yeah, the one mass a day instead of the you know the constant masses and stuff. And it was just everywhere as we were growing up. What did your folks think of that when all of a sudden they're doing mass in English? Did, well, did they care? Both our parents morphed into St. Joe's, which is an Irish Catholic parish, sure. because ours closed and stuff. And for the most part, they were treated well. My parents, my dad, my mom had been not around that long because she passed, but my right. dad was very much like the priest there and stuff. And But it was different. I mean, my mother, at her funeral, insisted that some of it be in French and all. Yeah, and, her father, for sure, yeah. I remember. Yeah, but they, they weren't, like, mad about the fact that all of a sudden St. George was now offering English masses. They weren't, they weren't fired up no, kind of thing. No, no, they were not. No, I think they were, they were really kind of sad when it closed. And, sure. You know, because... They lost their, you know, where they had grown up and where our family had grown up. They right. lost that center. Sure. I think they understood that if the church was going to continue, it had to change. Sure. Because, they're, you know, French-Canadian families weren't the dominant group anymore. So if, you know, if the church was going to be viable, it had to, it had to accommodate a bigger population. Talk. But we only went to French Mass. You only went to, yeah. You only guys went to the 830 Mass on Sunday. You guys Sunday. weren't going to show up at any English Masses? No. Save for you to... I think my mother, for going to church, it was the uh, time of the mass was more important. <laughs> oh, she didn't care about language. the language, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> another thing we hear a lot of times, uh, both in Quebec prior to the Quiet Revolution and then even the Franco-Americans here in uh, New England, was the whole idea that the church and the priests had influence on parishioners well beyond just what you would think of a normal priest role. It was like, uh, obviously they had... You know, they ran the church, but they also had influence when it came to, you know, how they would raise their families and how they would even spend their money or what jobs they ended up taking or who they should vote for, or who they should even date, all that kind of stuff. Was that still present in Manchester or did you hear about stories of that in Manchester from like your folks at all? I mean, we even had some of the vestiges of it when we were a little older because that. Pauline and I went to counseling at our church prior to getting married and all and, you know. Sure. And got the traditional questions, et cetera, et cetera. And so, I mean, and we were 25 and 26 at the time, so we weren't kids. And, but that was still necessary to get a church wedding. We had to go through that process. So they, they you know, they were still not as active as when we were younger, but they gotcha. still had a big uh, influence on how things were done and when they were done and where they were done. It's funny because you just hear the stories of like, like before even changing jobs, they, people would go and ask their priest first or, you know, want to make sure that... Yeah, I don't think that it was that, that involved at that point. No. Gotcha. But uh, you know, I, uh, I can relate one story. My dad was got a permanent disability in World War II, yeah. and he always felt self-conscious about it, even though it wasn't a lot of money and stuff. And so he had told a, a priest, uh, whose name I don't remember, at confession about it and stuff, and the guy told him to make you know, reimbursements to the government for that money if he felt so guilty about it. And my mom told basically said, tell that guy to go to uh, <laughs> go somewhere, you know, because uh, yeah. he, he had no idea, having being a priest and being coddled his whole life, you know, what exactly that, that meant, meant to our family. Isn't that crazy? A priest telling your dad to give back his disability money from World War II. Yes. <laughs> That's so nuts. The very first uh, interview we ever recorded for the podcast, not the first one we aired, the very first one we recorded was with Juliana LaRue, and we talked about her blog post, which was all about uh, what we call ourselves. And so far on this podcast, we've heard a lot of various answers. The most common is people use the term Franco-American, but some have said French-Canadian, I've heard French-Canadian-American, I've heard somebody told us we should use Quebecois-American, some said just simply call yourself French. Um, what did you guys refer to yourself as growing up? Well, what would your folks have used? I'm curious. I think they would have said French Canadian, yeah. if they asked, yes. if they were asked. Yeah, so, I think my folks too would have referred to themselves as French Canadians. Gotcha. You wouldn't have Franco Americans. I never heard Franco. No, that's spaghetti. That's... <laughs> right? That is. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. 
Yeah, there was a French Franco American spaghetti. As well. mm. All right, so final question. And I told turned to me, I've mentioned her a couple times. So I offered the very final question to my amazing sister Monique. And her suggestion for the final question was Is there something from the French culture you had growing up that you wish was still around, would come back? If there's anything that you can recall from that time that you kind of wish was still around for future generations, what would that be? Oh, my. I think one thing is, and that, and I'm largely negligent in this area myself, is that the extended family thing. I mean, my mother knew her, like, fourth or fifth cousins sure. up in Canada and all, and like, they were active members of the family. We would go see them, and same thing with my dad's side. I mean, the, the sense of family was a lot more extensive and all and inclusive and we we just haven't done it in my family and I'll, sure. I'll speak to that and and my sister and my brother are a lot better about it than I am and I think it's and it's been a, at a loss because I mean we all have very really really nice cousins and et cetera et cetera and, sure. and you know I kind of lost contact with them not not knowing not that I don't know where they are and speak to them on occasion but they're not as part of the family as sure it was with my mother's generation growing up and I think that's uh that's a loss. No, that's cool. I, I'd like to keep some of the like the very tangible things. Food. I mean, I really believe that that that's really primal, mm-hmm. and it brings you back. I, I teach junior high, and one of the questions I always ask at Christmas is, you know, tell me something cultural your family is going to have over the holidays, and they all talk about the different foods. Sure. And that just opens the door to great discussions about about family and about culture and about language and you know. Pork pie, gâteau, and all that stuff. That's awesome. All right, well, that's all I got. Thank you, guys. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.